A listener's note. Some episodes of this podcast include descriptions of violence, sudden death, and other traumatic experiences. We do not recommend this podcast for young listeners. Things don't get back to normal after a parent dies. You just find a new way. Um, So I found over the years the ways I tried to deal with grief and I tried to have my grief change and be healthy were trying to relate things back to the good things with my dad or like who my dad was and imagining who he wanted me to be, maybe. The imagining that happens when a loved one's life is cut short leads many family members to follow similar career paths. The National Fallen Firefighters Foundation has many examples of people who pursue so-called helping jobs. They become firefighters, paramedics, nurses, teachers, and counselors. I have lots of family members who either are currently or have been in the fire service. And just seeing, like, how involved my family has been in the communities and everything, like, they went through growing up has definitely influenced um, probably that decision to go into social work. In this episode of Grief in Progress, we'll learn from Rachel and Liza, two daughters of fallen firefighters who connected through their losses but discovered over time they had much more in common, including a desire to serve others in their communities. One way to explain the phenomenon of fire hero family members continuing their loved one's commitment to service is with something called post-traumatic growth. It's an idea that the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation promotes through many of its programs. Post-traumatic growth is a psychological term for experiencing a life-altering event and finding purpose in the associated pain and loss. Dr. Joe Casper, a medical doctor who lost his son to a rare form of epilepsy and went on to study post-traumatic growth, coined another term that may apply here, co-destiny. As part of their grieving process, some bereaved family members strive to keep their loved one's impact on the world going after their death. As the Foundation's grief specialist, Jenny Woodall, tells us, these forms of growth or legacy show up in a variety of ways. There are big and obvious examples of legacy, such as a son whose dad was a firefighter continuing to serve as a firefighter. And that is a very powerful tie in a lot of our families. But for every big legacy, there are a thousand little legacies and ways in which the people who died continue to live through those who loved them. And that happens in fire departments. It happens in families. It happens in communities. I'm thinking of things like I have many times heard a surviving spouse say, I can't believe how much she reminds me of her dad. You know, as they see their children growing up, they see these flickers of that person who they loved, who died, in their children. And that, I would say, is also a form of legacy. Like any any spark that's left in the people who live continues what was best about the people who we've lost. Sometimes legacy is intentional, but... We also just carry with us the best of their qualities and the ways in which they touched us. This doesn't mean that everyone who's experienced loss is required to go out and change the world. It just means that some people find solace and a greater understanding of their loved one by doing things that honor their memory. I think in its best forms, legacy should not feel like a burden or a duty. It should be a joy. It should be 
something that makes us feel proud and connected and a way to keep the people we love close. As an example, we have the story of Liza Onks and Rachel Prouty. Loss forged their friendship, but service continues to connect them in remarkable ways. These two women have a lot in common. They both grew up in fire service families. This is how Liza describes it. Oh, goodness. Um, Growing up in a fire service family, I have lots of family members who either are currently or have been in the fire service, um, my father included. Um, There was a lot of involvement with the fire department, you know, different events, different fundraisers. With the fire family, like at the fire department, it is basically one big family and someone that you do grow up with. And I had a lot of, you know, friends that, you know, their parents were on the fire department in some aspect. And so being able to share that with them as well. And I mean, being in a very small town of less than 200 people, the fire department was volunteer, so no one was career. And so that made it, I think, a little more special as well, growing up in the fire service family, because everybody knew everybody. But there was also a lot of unknown, so to speak. Like any a fire pager could go off at any time, you know, in the middle of dinner, three o'clock in the morning. And it's a very distinct sound, at least back, you know, in the early 2000s, it was a very distinct sound. Here's Rachel's take. Um, everybody was family. Everybody was part of it. Um, you didn't have to ask for help. You just had help, no matter what it was. Um, I can remember my dad just like making stuff happen if people needed help, whether that was like, I don't know, babysitting for date night or like, how are we going to take apart this deck? Like, we just made it work. It was a nice togetherness, a good community. I remember spending so much time at the firehouse. I remember spending holidays, New Year's Eve parties. I know that like being a firefighter is a career, but it was really more than, it was so much more than that at the firehouse. You worked together, you were staying together because you loved and cared for one another. My father was the fire chief. My mom was not a firefighter, but she was like fire police. Um, So whenever there was a call, like in the middle of the night, she would go as well and like direct traffic and make sure things were safe for the community while the firefighters were dealing with like the crisis itself. I don't know the technical words because I'm still remembering everything as a kid, but we had like the fire grandmas for like lack of better words. So I remember Jean, she was always taking care of me and my siblings. If it was the middle of the night, she had a fire scanner and she knew when when to pick us up. Unfortunately, Rachel and Liza also share in common losing a dad at a young age. Rachel was just seven years old when her father, Roy Prouty, suffered a heart attack while helping load a patient into a medical helicopter. He died at the hospital. Rachel has these memories of that time. I remember it being unexpected. I remember it being sudden. And I remember a whirlwind of next steps happening. But in the same tone with The firefighter family, I remember people being there. I remember the support. I remember family being around and not being physically alone. Like there was always somebody there for us. I remember a lot of time, again, spent at the firehouse, not really doing anything, but just like existing as people that needed to exist together. Liza was a couple of years older, nine, when she lost her dad. Like Rachel's dad, Michael Angst died in the line of duty. 
He was working a barn fire, then had a fatal heart attack. Liza remembers her older brother waking her up in the middle of the night and her mom coming home from the hospital to deliver the news that her father was gone. Then, just a house full of people. There were people in our house pretty much every single day. I have a big family on both sides. So family members there every day coming from all over the United States visiting with us. You know, I still went to Sunday school the next day. I wanted to walk alone, but one of my uncles wouldn't let me walk alone. Um, But I think at nine years old, I only wanted that normalcy of being able to walk to Sunday school alone, being able to attend Sunday school like nothing ever happened. Um, But of course, living in a small town, news travels fast because it was also the first line of duty death in the county. Um, So that made an even bigger event aside from a normal death, you know, in a family or in a town. So it definitely brought a lot of emotions on knowing that that normalcy was gone. As time passed, both young women tried to make sense of their loss and felt supported by the adults in their lives. I think it was important for me to ask questions for closure, for understanding what was happening and and also understanding, especially at seven, that like I was safe um, because you you tell a kid, a seven-year-old kid, something like death, and they become scared, right? Knowing some of those details of what happened made me feel that, like, you know, this wasn't, it was a freak accident, but it wasn't like I had to fear anything. I had to be scared. So I had the support there to make sure that I wasn't, that I felt safe. At a young age, I I think there were times where I wanted to understand what was going on, but again, you know, just push stuff so far back. But as I got older, you know, and all these big events, you know, graduation, prom, graduation from undergrad, graduation from master's degree, all these different events definitely hit differently and made me want to understand exactly what had happened. And like if I could give any sort of advice to, you know, any first responder family that's gone through a line of duty death, as much as you want to protect the child and don't want to give them the details, I still think it's so important to give them the details of what's happening in a developmentally appropriate way, but being completely honest with them because you don't want them to get years down the road still trying to put pieces together of what happened and how it happened and why it happened. Every couple of years I learned more. And then I, when I understood more about like, death and grief and firefighting, I could ask more questions. Very lucky to say that nobody ever hid anything from me. If I had a question, they did answer it. At different points, Liza and Rachel both found it difficult to relate to other kids their age. I had people to talk to. I could talk to the teachers. I could talk to anyone in the community, the fire department. But I didn't really talk to my friends about it at nine years old because I just wanted to be normal and not looked at like the poor girl who lost her dad at nine years old. I just wanted to be Liza, the nine-year-old who's in fourth grade trying to advance to fifth grade and moving forward. When a child loses a parent, it's fairly common for them not to know anybody else their age who has lost a parent. From the outside, we think about grief as a big picture, but from the inside, there are all those little things that shift when your parent has died in terms of what your day-to-day life looks like and in terms of what your surviving parent looks like, how that person is coping, the dynamics. And, you know, when you remove someone from a family, all the dynamics shift. 
And so kids, in some ways, I think mature a lot. They know about things that a lot of kids their age don't know about. And so it can be really hard to be surrounded by people who are talking about issues that suddenly seem very petty and unimportant when you've had this huge thing happen that changes your whole world. Jenny says something transformative happens when a child encounters another person their age who knows what it means to lose a parent. They don't necessarily have to talk about grief all the time. They might also really enjoy talking about the normal things of childhood, but they're talking with other people who get it, who understand what that loss is like and what it feels like. And they don't have to, they don't need words to share that experience. I think it's a very powerful experience when you don't have to explain the whole backstory. For Rachel, that experience happened when the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation honored her dad and other fire heroes during Memorial Weekend. Yeah, that's the first time I remember feeling a sense of belonging to a group of strangers. And I didn't know them, but I could hear what they were saying. I could see the pictures we were drawing. I could see how they were decorating these little, like, lantern bag things. Honestly, everybody's favorite color was red because all the kids liked the fire trucks. And that, at like seven, was like the first thing I remember like, okay, there's, some, there's something in common here, right? We got this. But just other little kids talking and just saying like, this happened to me too. The Memorial Weekend was almost a whole year after my dad had passed away. Um, and I was dealing with other kids my age in school who had both parents and either I was weird or I was like in a big interest because like everybody was talking, all the adults were talking about Rachel. So there I was just a kid. One of my first outside of Memorial Weekend events with the foundation was the very first young adults retreat. Um, I think that was in 2014 where I got the bracelet that I'm wearing. And it's an everyone goes home bracelet. You can't tell that anymore because I mean, it's been going on seven years and everything's rubbed off, but I just haven't really taken it off. Everyone Goes Home is not just a slogan. It's the name of foundation programs, training, and resources for members of the fire service aimed at reducing the number of preventable line-of-duty deaths and injuries. The National Fallen Firefighters Foundation was created by Congress in 1992 with the original mission to honor and remember America's fallen firefighters, firefighters who die in the line of duty, and to provide resources to help their families in rebuilding their lives after that death. The mission has since expanded to include efforts to reduce firefighter deaths and injuries. If we can reduce the number of deaths, we reduce the need for serving grieving families, and that really would be a good outcome for everyone involved. Rachel also attended the Foundation's first young adult retreat in 2014. I think I struggled with wanting to identify as, like, Rachel and not as, like, a unit. So I was very against going to things with my sister or my mom for a while there. So when I could go to something that was just me, I went to the young adult uh, retreat, and it was, it was really good. It was a huge step for me. I had never been to any of, like, the kids' camps or anything. I knew literally no one at the foundation. They know me, but <laughs> I didn't know them. I think 
that event specifically with the foundation was a really pivotal moment in my grief journey because I realized these are my people. You know, they're people around my age. The Young Adults um, Retreat was, is, I think, 18 to 25. Being able to realize that there were, there are people my age that have been through what I've been through such a good moment. So I think I wanted some, just the same thing I did when I was seven, just like for someone to look at me like I was just like a normal kid and that me losing my dad wasn't like the only thing that's ever happened in my life. I wanted I wanted connection. Uh, so I met Rachel at the Young Adults Retreat and that's where we had made that connection of our losses and became pretty good friends. I definitely sought like Liza out at the first conference I went to, and we were we made a lot of fun memories there. It was really fun. It was definitely a fun environment and took away that stigma around why we were all there. I mean, we all knew why we were there, but took away that harsh reality. And I mean, ever since then, that was kind of my buy-in to the foundation. I don't think, with the exception of COVID, um, I don't think I've missed any foundation events that I could go to since then, um, which is really nice because it's really wonderful to be able to have those people. They didn't, you know, they didn't sit us down and make us all just like talk about our feelings and hope that helped. They like connected people. They connected people based on age and based on like different activities. And they really put in that work and dedication to make sure it was going to mean something. And while it, it sucks that you're there because of like why you're there, it's good to know you're not alone. We have so many examples of people who were introduced to one another through the foundation's events. While the loss is the point of original connection, they form friendships that have to do with much more than just that loss. They create memories together and they create histories that are shared. And so we are very fortunate to be able to put people together with one another, knowing that we're playing just a tiny role in what they are going to do going forward and the ways that they will stay connected to one another. Since the foundation serves families all over the country, staying connected often means posting in private Facebook groups or checking in on other social channels. Liza lives in Nebraska and Rachel lives in Maryland. Both young women applied for and received scholarships from the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, which, along with its partners, has awarded close to $4.8 million in educational funds to spouses, children, and stepchildren of fallen firefighters. Both scholars were excited when they learned they had something else in common. They both pursued graduate degrees and careers in social work. I think it's great. I love social work. It's always interesting to me to see how many people in the National Fallen Firefighters or who like go through something traumatic as a kid want to go into the helping profession. I've always been a helper. And like one of the pieces of advice that my dad gave me in um, a letter in fourth grade was, you know, always ask for help, even if it's really hard. And truthfully, I don't have the letter anymore. I'm not sure what happened to it. But in fourth grade, that was also the year that he passed away. The teacher had all of the parents, or at least one of the parents, write a letter to their child 
at the beginning of the year that they would get at some point during the year. And my teacher held on to mine for obvious reasons um, because he passed away in February of like my fourth grade year. And she gave it to me at the end of the year. It was just like words of encouragement, you know, different pieces of advice. And so that's something that has made a really wonderful impact. And I implement it with a lot of the families that I work with. It's not easy to ask for help and always keep that in mind. I am finishing my master's of social work at University of Maryland, um, and I focused on grief. I think that my uh, my mom and dad and my whole family really instilled like a need for giving back to the community in, in any way that I could and being a, being a part of something, uh, being the person to look for in a crisis. Once I finish my degree, um, I'm hoping to be able to give back to my community, which right now is Baltimore City, and help children and also adults um, better understand their own grief that they're going through. I first got into social work because I was very interested and thankful for the National Fallen Firefighters to be a welcoming face during such a, a difficult time um, in anybody's life, but especially mine at seven. I really like where I work and where I'm at, you know, professionally. I, um, I work with families that are post-adoption or looking to build their families through adoption or with birth mothers that are looking at their options of parenting or adoption. And unfortunately, you know, with me having lost a parent through death, um, there are some kids that I've worked with that have lost their parents through death. So that brings me a little bit of different perspective for them. Liza recently completed her master's degree in social work, where she concentrated in mental health and trauma. Her graduate studies opened her up to the possibility of focusing on first responder mental health in the future. One of the studies that I found, it was just over like first responders, mental health and like PTSD rates and suicide rates. And one of the statistics that really startled me and made me realize that this is much more of a problem than like the media and everything is reporting and in 2017, 103 firefighters were reported to die by suicide. And then 129 law enforcement officers were reported to die by suicide. And that is, I'm a social worker, I don't do math, you know, over 230 individuals that didn't have the hope to hang on and had witnessed who knows what they witnessed um, something that they really took to heart and shook them to their core. And that just kind of made me realize that there's stuff that can be done and more research that needs to be done um, to help these individuals, these men and women that are in the fire service that are with law enforcement because their life matters. And when they're in those critical you know, moments where there's a lot, a whole lot of darkness, a whole lot of secondary trauma. Um, they're not thinking that their life matters. And so if I, at some point in my career, with my licenses, my experience, you know, as a fire hero, first responder family member, can help them and provide any sort of guidance, I will do my best to do that because there's just way too much loss. and not enough services directed to the fire, like the first responders. Yeah, I just want to do my part to help them out as much as possible.
Here was Rachel's response when I talked to her about Liza's interest in first responder mental health. You know, I'm so glad you um, said that because I'm attending virtually a conference tomorrow about mental health for first responders, and I'm going to send her a link now. So sweet. I'm really, really hoping now that I'll be like a a real-life social worker, I'm hoping to like give back to the foundation. Um, Being the therapist there with the kids, right, with the adults saying like, I have also been here and, and now we can go through this like together. I think that grief does change over time. Um, I remember thinking about my dad and other losses I've had to deal with that like I couldn't wait for things to get back to normal. And something I had to sit with was that like there's just going to be a new normal. There's never going to be things don't get back to normal after a parent dies. You just find a new way. There used to be this prevailing notion that the goal was to sort of wrap up and put away the relationship with the person who died. And we know that it's actually much healthier for people to find ways to continue that relationship in some way. You know, that that sounds a little odd on the face of it, but what is it about the person who died that you want to carry forward with you? Maybe it's a quality. Maybe it's a motto. Maybe it is a sense of humor. But what are the things you treasure about the person who died that you really want to incorporate into your life? Again, to integrate into who you are going to be going forward. We now encourage people to really not feel self-conscious about continuing to have a relationship with their dead loved one. That's healthy. And it takes different forms for different people. Here's Rachel's take. So I found over the years the ways I tried to deal with grief and I tried to have my grief change and be healthy were trying to relate things back to the good things with my dad or like who my dad was and imagining who he wanted me to be. For instance, when I went to college, I got really into baking because my dad in college, he worked at a bakery. So I also worked at a bakery, partly because I love baking, but what like piqued that interest was that like, my dad could have taught me this if I was here, but it's still important for me to know because I'm his daughter. This is how Liza describes it. I try to memorialize as much as possible and try to provide as much light as I can into his life because he was definitely a helper. He was always there. He was the first one on the scene. It's definitely somebody that you can rely on. And I try to be that person for a lot of different people. That's why I went into social work last year on his 15 year anniversary. I had a little bit of extra refund money. I was like, I'm going to use this to really celebrate, you know, my dad and what he would want to do and passing joy on to other people. And I went to a local coffee shop here in Kearney called Barista's. And I, prior to do, going there, I had printed off, oh, probably 30, maybe 40, like, postcard-type things with a picture of my dad explaining, like, a little bit of his story and that, you know, this is for you. And, you know, I just ask that you pass it forward because that's what he would want. Um, And then I also provided my contact information, you know, if they wanted to reach out to me. I put like 200, maybe $300 on a gift card for the baristas to use, like for whoever was in the drive-thru or in the actual cafe itself. Um, And then, you know, when they purchased their drink with the gift card, um, that's when they would get the card. And 
I actually had some people reach out saying like how thankful they were like that that's what they needed in that moment. And so it was a really humbling experience being able to do that. I heard a quote one time that said that grief was misplaced love. And I, I've stuck to that because I, I think anytime I felt grief, it's because I loved something and something in that changed, right? I loved my dad. And because of that, because of the love I had, I felt grief when he passed. I just try to be true to the, to the values that he instilled, which was really about community. Um, and I think, I'm I think I'm realizing like right now today, how much of that community he did instill in me and how it just like feeds into the other part of my life, all of the other parts of my life. In 2021, Liza joined the advisory committee to the board of the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. When they announced that I was appointed to the advisory committee, a lot of people, even people I didn't know, um, were saying, you know, your dad's looking down on you. He's, you know, very proud of you. So I definitely try to pay it forward as much as possible and even volunteering for whatever I can in the foundation. You know, if I'm not too busy, I definitely will. Um, and that's a really good way to really move along with my dad's legacy. On the next episode of Grief in Progress, it's the season one finale. Julianne Ashcraft's husband, Andrew, was one of 19 wildland firefighters who died in the line of duty. Overwhelmed with gratitude for the strangers who sent letters and cards and offered support, she found creative ways to process her grief and transport her family from bitter to better. Thank you for listening to the Grief in Progress podcast, a production of the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. If you've enjoyed this six-episode season of the podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a positive review. To learn more about the Grief in Progress podcast and the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, visit firehero.org.